0: Welcome to the ARC audiobook club. Today we've read Aliens and Anorexia by Chris Kraus, the second book in the I Love Dick trilogy published on text in 2000. So in short, this book starts where I Love Dick ended. More of the same, Chris and Sylvia still hang out, but he's got a new girlfriend whose house Chris lives in. She's gotten into phone sex and S&M because it's the only sex where she finds that people hold their end of the bargain. She's still made invisible by men and she's still fiercely unhappy. Now in Berlin, she's trying to sell her movie at the European film market. And to talk about this, we have, as always, Maken Holt. Hello. Rebecca Linulman. Hello. And Neos Casanova. Hi. And I'm Giovanna Alessandro. And the first thing I noticed while reading this book, or one of the many first impressions, was that this book maybe felt more like a crafted work than a book or like as a traditional story. Or like it wasn't important what she was telling as much. As the importance of how she told
1: it. Yeah, I think I I would say that I picked up on that because I think there was a very like in I Love Dick, there's a very clear conceit. Mm. These are letters.
0: Yes, and, that and they allows, have a recipient.
1: Yeah, and 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 then you take the place of that recipient. You kind of inhabit the body of Dick. Mm. Um, whereas this had it's weird. It, it's not that it has a stronger structure because nothing's more structured than a ridiculously tight conceit like letter writing. It, it has to impose more. Like there's more force going into whatever structure it has because it's not so arbitrary as letters.
0: And how confusing did you find it? Because when I first read it, I was like, what the fuck is this? And all these cultural references and yeah. everything in there, mm. uh, which it's littered with, mm. I couldn't really make sense of it. Yeah. And then I read it the second time. And then yes, a structure appears and she does sort of give it all away, gives it all away. And implicitly tells the reader or actually very explicitly tells the reader what she is doing. But the first time I read it, I had no idea what was happening or why anything was there.
1: I don't, I think I found it. Um, it was, yeah, it was a struggle in the first instance because you don't have that um, persona to inhabit. You like the purpose for the text is not present anymore. Um, well, in that, like she's only, she's established her um, identity as a writer through a book which was writing for an explicit communicative purpose. Um,
2: and there's more theory in this one than the other ones. A lot and of the... I feel like this one makes more sense if, sense if you read the other books by her. Because then it like it mm. reflects on the other books. Yeah, I mean, um, if you... Yeah. it's like the whole sad girl theory in it about, yeah, the sadness. And that makes sense in comparison to the other
1: books. I can't imagine trying to read this without having read I Love Dick. No, I was yeah. thinking the same
0: thing. I Love mm. Dick is an introduction to this book, or at least an introduction to her method of writing. Mm. Um, you disagree, Naos?
3: A bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I thought, I thought it was interesting to read it after I Love Dick, but at the same time it was very confusing because I could see what she was doing, and maybe the problem is that I kept like, like making comparisons with I Love Dick and this one I was like you're just taking I Love Dick to another level like a more abstract level where you feel free now to just tell about yourself and like expose all your ideas and like kind of justify yourself in some way because for some reason the only thing I had in mind when I started reading the book was that she was trying to account for her failure in gravity and grace and gravity Everything, grace great Grace <laughs> so then I I had that on my mind all the time so I, I felt that it was a very bad excuse like very bad justification of why I have failed doing this and like trying to explain how she feels and like I thought the first part was very nice where she talks about going to Berlin and trying to make it with her film and like being very awkward about talking to the people and trying to make something out of the movie Mm -hmm. but then the rest kind of gets lost and then she introduces this kind of romance with this guy and then it gets lost but then on the second part she explains how it ended and I thought it was confusing not in the I don't know why I'm reading this or what I'm reading what I'm reading but rather of like why are you telling me this why do you have the need to tell me this. The thing is, like, she tries too hard. (laughs) Mm. And, I mean, it it makes sense that she wants to talk about all this alien stuff and, like, all this series because it it kind of ties up with the movie. And I actually Mm. thought it was very nice at the end when she actually writes the movie down because the third part is basically what happens in the story. I thought that was quite enlightening because then I can... Okay, so this is what you were (coughs) trying to do during those times... And this is why you were explaining me like going to Berlin and then like uh, what you were doing in LA and like how it was to go back to New Zealand. That was nice, Mm. but still, I don't know. I was like, okay, cool. You've told me this story. Great. Great. And so <laughs> <laughs> like somebody that's in a
2: conversation just like keep telling different things and you're like, yeah, yeah. Like trying to anyways, be, yeah,
3: yeah, exactly. Like mm. trying to be like, oh, this has happened to me. And I think this and I know this series says this and I have all these ideas and I'm just going to tell you about it. And I'm going to tell you about the time I was living in New York and then the time I was living in
2: L.A. And it's like, OK. And she self-traumatized a lot, like that's happening to herself yeah and you kind of get the feeling sometimes that it was just like pretty mellow some of the stuff yeah. or just like not like in such a like she like sticks it to the world so much It sticks it to like political stuff happening and you're just like this is also like a normal life being living
0: yeah. yeah but that
2: is the point of the book isn't it that she
0: wants to write against this um at one point she tells how her lover uh online phone sex email lover um has given her book recommendations uh, that she's now reading. And one of them, there is this quote uh, that says, The greatest writing is a disturbing vision offered from a position of strength. And that she contests. And it feels like the point of this book is to contest that notion um, and not to write from this position of strength. Mm. That's true. Yeah. And that is sort of like the whole literary merit of this book is to not
2: write from that position. I also think, like, the part about her, like, excusing for herself, I think it's more like her trying to write from, like, a a perspective where it's, like, not well adjusted. And, like, yeah, Yeah, in a humiliated position and then writing from that point of view. And she writes
0: about these great male writers, right? Mm -hmm. And that is the thing she wants to oppose by this book. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> but I feel that at the same time she takes a lot of like uh distance over herself and like all mm. this this has happened to me. I'm yeah. trying to write from this like, yeah, down point of view, whatever. But then it takes a stand out and she's like, Yeah, but people are taking advantage of me as well. And like that's mm. with the whole movie when she starts like going on and on about this girl who's like she has a huge crush on her and the girl knows kind of but she sees her yeah. as a, like a mother figure yeah. yeah so that and then like she, she just like keeps going about like how people are taking advantage of her and that's basically why she's just hasn't made
0: it so that sounds like you are so annoyed by the character, the constructor character here, Chris Krauts, which I also found to be at times, Jesus fucking Christ, yeah. Uh, yeah. white wine. Um,
1: but isn't this like the nature of like the, the lower position? Yes, it's- I think but so. She's
2: also but like then- not in the lower position compared to Delphine in the book. Like this is like a working class girl that's like barely making it. And like, I don't. Below, like like lower in which yeah. in
1: which like like matrix are we talking about? Like are we lo- talking totally like lower like lower economically? Yes, but like has she she has more social capital than Chris in that situation? And she's but younger Delphine. and
0: she's more beautiful, so it's different different capital that they have. But the whole story of Delphine Bauer, I didn't really get why I was there if it wasn't to show that. I mean, that our narrator is a really good person and how she was fucked over. And that really, like, that annoyed me so much that it was there, uh, because the whole... Um, but doesn't
1: it just show her that she's a weak person, that she's a person who... Um, that she, That she's a person who seeks out conditions where she can be made the victim.
0: Yes, and that was what I thought in the end, that it's there and she becomes so easy to criticize because she exposes everything, even this... Um, where yes, you can say that people took advantage of her because she was an independent filmmaker and she had no money, and they were just like using it for their own advantage for their t v and blah blah blah, but you can also say, yeah, why, why wouldn't they um and but by telling us that story she I think she does expose herself, so yeah, it's very easy to criticize, but she's still sharing us that point of not writing from a position of strength,
3: but I think she's like. ...living apart that then she shows in very indirect ways... ...like the fact that she in some way has the means to go to Berlin... The fact that she finds the means to go to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, to, she's not as fucked as that. she wants
0: us to believe. Exactly. And I think that's wonderful. I think that because so she so fucked up. Exposes <laughs> enough so that we can see that it's actually not as terrible as it sounds because she is able to do this and she's able to make a movie that costs what does she say, like the same price as a park slope, two room, bedroom, co op apartment. Mm. Um so she keeps telling us how like how hard it is for her, but yeah lots of people are way worse off than her, and I think that's that i mean I like that a lot because she's not just nice or um
2: like rational or yeah she she reveals a lot, but maybe it's not so much about position as about like how like when she writes about like how the artwork works it's not about much about like how she perceives it but just about like what is going on and how to make a movie and like also the fact that she keeps talking about like money how everything just costs lots of money and then she's like i think she's i think it's more like a a portray of the art world or the movie mm. making people and how that is somehow difficult for people to do
1: well, i mean like, like yeah
2: Yes, and
0: we just found out, that if you were wondering where Rebecca's voice was, <laughs> that we just realized that her microphone has been facing the wrong way and it's been recording more of me than her. So now we corrected it. It was a rookie mistake. We've only had this equipment for four months.
1: I mean, a 75% success rate not bad. <laughs> yeah. for four
0: months. So now four we're months. back with Rebecca. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> this is the
1: first time in a long time we've had to do all four seats. So that's <laughs> Anyway.
0: But you were saying something like um to Neos about how the point of what she was trying to explain in this book was how, okay. how the artwork art world works. And not her being the victim.
2: Oh yeah, the important part is not just like she is in a ridiculous position, but like the whole thing is kind of ridiculous yeah, in yeah. this Yeah, yeah, I get your point about like she is also weirdly victimizing. Yeah, but I don't herself, think you or,
3: can I don't think as a As a narrator, you can't escape the reader judging you.
2: It's true, yeah.
3: So if you're making like if you're writing something as personal as she's writing, not as as writer, but as a fictional first person narrator, let's say, I mean, she knows, she kind of knows that readers will judge that first person writing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't think she was, re- precisely because I don't think she was, like, actively trying to portray herself as a victim, but rather just trying to explain what the situation was. Mm. Then she makes, like, very big mistakes. What, like, in, in
0: gathering sympathy?
3: And No, not, not just that. Just, like, trying to explain the whole situation and, like, being, oh people are taking advantage of me. But then she's in the position of talking about other things. Like, for example, I got very angry when I when I was reading her talking about Simone Weil and, uh, and also Simone de Beauvoir. Like, I thought it was very nice. But then you can't go that political without taking then a stand. Like, it's, it's like she's talking about all these amazing women mm. and trying to make a point about her. Them and her work. Mm-hmm. But and then she's like so far away from that, taking such a privileged position. You know, like she can do whatever <coughs> wa- she wants, really. Like but she's I mean, making. They m- had
0: privileged positions as well, the both Simones. Um, yeah, but then like the, not the Vaubois one. <laughs> she's. I think she's so. More, uh, she did, yeah. yes. Yeah. She yeah. Went, but I mean, what really annoyed me about that. Uh, whole scene was that she definitely identifies more with Simone veil but on behalf of Simone veil being a good person yeah and
2: yeah that that's but what i also I, that, call that narcissistic the way of being a good person that is just like self-destructive in a way that is like her idea that she is somehow better than everybody else because she is this good person Yeah, but that,
3: uh, that's what I was trying yeah. to say
2: like in the Beauvoir
3: part I don't have anything to say but the veil one like she's talking so much about her and how an amazing person she was and like how I I thought it was amazing when she was talking about uh, Simone leaving like uh, philosophy, like teaching philosophy and then going to a factory because she really wants, she knows about her privileged position as a philosophy teacher. She knows that she's clever. She knows that she has knowledge, but she, she's like talking about working class, People. So she's going to go to a factory, live all her like nice life and work in a factory for a year. You can't then like talk about this kind of like heroes from such a privileged position, like being like, oh yeah, you know, in some way, like trying to empathize with her and her life. And then being, you know, like, now I can make this movie. And, like, oh, everyone is taking advantage of but like, me, like, but I have my... my but i My, so my, my,
1: my, 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 my file's, like, whole choice <laughs> to know how the workers work is a privilege. Because it's, like, I'm choosing to adopt that way. Like, it, like it's it, it's, such a... It's, like, I mean, while it's, like, laudable, like, you know, it's certainly more laudable than, like, like Mark sitting away, like, never went to see a factory. But it's the same kind of thing of, as cultural appropriation as a way of being like, she's opting into suffering others would opt out of.
3: That Simone didn't choose to be born in the context she was born. No, no. She was interested in something. She took advantage of it hmm, in the that. in the best sense. She went and like learned things. Yeah. And then she tried to apply it to yeah. the
1: real world. Yeah, but then when she talks about workers, like they're always this kind of object for her fascination.
3: I don't think so. But also
2: it's, <laughs> yeah <I don't> <laughs> but it is kind of difficult maybe if wrong. you are not like from a working class life, then how should you how should you fight their battle and that's what Simon Weil is trying to do, and that's what like the only i think real comparison between them is that they're both interested in class issues and they're both interested in like making activism somehow and Simon Weil does this by going to the factory and doing labor work and I think Chris Krass do this by making like kind of have a journalistic view of this that she keeps telling the story of the working class people she meets and how I they love. yeah,
0: but then the interesting thing is that um she identifies with veil, vale, but Chris obviously or at least it appears to me that she sees herself as being like in the bottom of the food chain, well, I think that Vile knew that she was not she was privileged. But then, Neos, I think that you expect too much of your narrator, or, like, you become very moralizing towards her uh, yeah. and expect a lot from her, right? Um, which she cannot live up to because, I mean, this person seems to be completely fucked <laughs> and way <laughs> off and totally off balance, and she has some great ideas and she's really good at writing and expressing herself, but we cannot rely on her word for anything, or but there, not much, really. I guess, like, you're totally right,
3: but not I just think that I just think that she she's playing that, like she's playing with that. I think she's clever enough to know that she's doing that, that she's creating some expectations, and she's just like fooling around, and that makes me very angry.
2: But there's a difference between like being like poor from for being like an artist and being like poor from being like unemployed. And I think she does like. She writes about being poor from, like... No, but there's a difference between an, an, the an, two an, of them because an unemployed you can... artist would be a... You no, know, because <laughs> you're still, like, you choose to sacrifice yeah. a normal life and yeah. choose to sacrifice... Um, but she's never sacrificing anything.
1: She sacrificed a lot, though, to get to the position where she's actually then spending a lot of money making a movie.
2: And she also, like, she shifts, she shifts very interestingly between the different layers, and she talks about being poor and then... Like also like her family at some point was poor and then they changed position. Like she shift like she has to just like talk about how capitalist somehow, capitalism somehow makes you shift between different layers or like she does anyways. And I think most middle class people also like shift this way. Mm-hmm. I assume. I think she
3: said she should be more honest. And when she talks about Vile, for instance, and recognizing that she is not her like a uh, spirit animal, spirit. Because I feel that she talks yeah. about Simone Weil as her spirit animal. Yeah, and like it's it's great that you try to be like Simone Weil. Cool. I also want to be like her, mm-hmm. but I also know that I'm not in a position to. Mm. But I mean, that's claim that
0: where she sort of reveals herself as unreliable—that she ident like her, the image she has of herself is just way off, which I think. I mean, that's very easy to recognize in another person, that you identify Mm. with something that actually, no. Um, And I think that's very, like, lovable about her because she is so annoying and she is very off. And, I mean, this could be said to be, I guess, core white feminism, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That these are, like, feministic issues, yeah, but only for you and your class. (laughs) And it counts for no one else but you and you are actually quite privileged but i want to know more what you guys thought about how this um book is written Mm. um to me it was very didactic like (laughs) she never leaves the reader's side everything sort of will be explained um yeah but
1: like sometimes she leaves the like she's right at your side but she's muttering incomprehensibly
0: (laughs) yeah but mm, mostly not i think i think
1: Okay, but like it,
0: it, it becomes quite clear. It's like and,
1: listening to the shipping forecast sometimes. But it's
0: also, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, definitely there's an overlap between her books, right? Mm. Um, a quote that appears many times in the book is from Ulrike Meinhof, who says, you must make your death public. That is a book uh, Chris Krause will later write cold you must make your death public wow. mm-hmm. Yes, um, there is also a bunch of quotes that were also in I Love Dick like yeah. those two books really overlap like the same Simone Veil quotes will yeah. appear and in I Love Dick she ascribes alien anorexia to Dick mm-hmm. which has not yeah. been written at that point point. Uh, and then there's the fun thing of like she says how Paul Theck um, and Veil wants to like use subjectivity to break out of time and space and sometimes it seems as if that's Proust's ambition too, but this whole book that she uses to do that, if that's what she uses to, is just so marked by localizations and time Mm. and everything. So she keeps on a little bit like writing against her own purposes or what seems to be a purpose, which is like where the text keeps collapsing. And I really like that.
1: I I hadn't thought that, but you're right. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens.
2: Like Um, how is it collapsing? That like I felt
0: that when she says both Veil vale and Thick, like, wants to use subjectivization, uh, or subjectivity, sorry, to break out of time and space, that that is her ambition too. Because every time she says something mm. about other people in that book, it seems as if she's like secretly describing herself in some way. Mm. Um, because she t- also tells us that, like, yeah. she's using this book, um, as a parable, and she's telling the whole book largely in parables towards herself of, like, how do you write failure? So she writes about other people's failure yeah. and perspectivizes it, um, yeah, to herself. And, like, when she calls uh, Veil vale a performative philosopher, it seems as if, like, that is what she thinks about herself, right? Um, so when she says that Veil vale and Thick wants to use subjectivity to break out of time and space, I felt that maybe, she, like, that counts for her as well. But then there are so many dates and, uh, like, specific I- places in the book.
1: Also, like, if you were, yeah, if you want to transcend time and place, you have to have a place and time to transcend. Yeah.
3: Like, mm-hmm. so
1: you have to have that, ten- it's a tension that she's... Yeah. Because, of course, like, mm-hmm. as she says she wants to do that, like, it, it's clearly impossible because mm. she's a p- particular person living in a particular place at a particular time. Mm. Um, But, so, yeah, so it's more like... like
0: but that becomes then another failure, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> an,
1: but I thought it, it was actually an a An ontological success? failure. Yeah. <laughs> but I, successful in But uh, I think yeah. it
0: was
3: because it would... It's what you just said, like you need to place time and space in order to like break it down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you,
3: like how how would you break it down? Yeah, otherwise it, be, like be, how would you challenge something that it doesn't explicitly appear?
1: Yeah, it wouldn't be a concept then you don't to break know. down. It's just like it's already broken down, it's gone, yeah. yeah. The salt has dissolved. Yeah.
0: yeah. But then to me this book becomes more like a concept or like a demonstration of things. Like how do you fix how do you show failure? Because if you show failure, then you've succeeded.
3: And that's, yeah. kind of oh, well, that's difficult, but yeah. um, <laughs> but it's I think I think. But
2: <laughs> well, I think it's like it seems like okay. it comes to a surprise to her <laughs> actually. <laughs> the movie is bad. Like it comes to, like she's writing like I think it's the second, what's it called like chapter. She's like um, maybe things doesn't work out because she has like the story of Paul Second, and she's like hmm. this guy worked didn't work out well or it yeah. ended badly and she's like I didn't thought that could happen to me. I just made this. Have this bad idea of a movie and now, but
3: I think one out. thing is like an account of an event and like a like reflecting on something and the other thing is having a goal within it, mm. so like you can account for your mistakes, and that doesn't make you successful in any way. You're just like reflecting upon something, and I think that's what I was kind of expecting with this i don't want to I don't want you to justify to me why you failed, but rather just know the facts about the failure. Because then I can judge if your failure, it is actually a failure to me.
1: But that's not like the nature of the lower position, though, again, that the lower position would be trying to justify itself. That's why it, like, the lower position is not like necessarily, it's not virtuous by its lowerness.
2: But then it's, there's something interesting in the way she talks about decreation I think it's called and like the whole like the part about anorexia when she talks about like when she's trying to actually write about some kind of lower position or like some kind of hum- humiliated position um, there's a in which she talks about this that is also like is it wrong to try to leave the body that is comes natural if you are humiliated or if you are anorexia you are actually trying to leave your own body and she's like She doesn't seem ambiguous if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I think she's pretty decided on it's good to try to leave your body somehow or it's like a consequence of something. Anyways, this whole book is like a defense of all the theory of becoming outside of your own body. And she sees this as a good thing. Yeah. But I'm not sure if if I agree with that or if this is a good thing. Oh yeah.
1: I don't know if she says it's a good thing or just like a sensible response to the world.
0: Mm. She has a quote at one point where she says, I was no longer poor, but being poor at least had been a kind of structure and now I wasn't anyone. Like, I don't even know what to say there, but that's again, I mean, it's part of the book that that quote has to be there, right? Because she's writing against this, position of strength so she keeps on doing this but she also tells us that this is what Mm. she's doing so it's really hard to criticize it because it just it lifts up to the book's own vision
1: but is is poorness not a kind of structure like when you limit your possibilities then you then you have some certainty about your future to a certain extent Mm. not ultimately because there's the precarity of not having wealth but you can say, "I will be at work tomorrow, and then I will not have to deal with like a kind of vast emptiness of I can do anything there's It's not to say that there's like an equal burden, but there is you lose something of a defined identity when you are when when, when you when you have some potential involved in yourself
2: mm. I think the point is that being from a bourgeois position isn't always a good thing of fun or something to strive for even though it is in our culture in general yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah. like when
2: she's saying like not that i wish i was poor but like it doesn't it's not fun not being poor it doesn't yeah
1: it's like yeah the success just makes more bullshit happen (laughs) like the success according to a bourgeois society just means you have to deal with more shit its like so- oh, oh just it's just like an oh, yeah. exactly no no, so
2: I think it's just think like an emptiness, emptiness to being bourgeois or like a meaninglessness to being in this position of having mm. money and she's I think she's more describing being in a position where like her husband is a well known professor and she is um trying to be this badass artist, but she's mm. failing at that and but she's still she's still trying to describe how striving for these uh, to be recognized as such is ruining her life somehow
1: yeah, but this is also like the thing that like I think Deleuze writes somewhere that the first victim of capital is, is the boss because they you lose humanity into becoming a vehicle for the accumulation of capital it's the boss which is calling you up at midnight to say you haven't got your stuff done but
3: that's where the responsibility and the annoying part comes into play. That if you've reached that upper position, you are aware of the lower position. And like, that's why it might be super annoying the quote that Gio read because she's been in another position and now she's escalated. So she now has the choice to continue being in the position she is, which is like, I have a rich husband and even though I'm failing and like, Sylvia is like doing all this, like Sylvia is kind of her safety net. She could choose not to have that safety net, yet she knows that it's a safer position and like just like more comfortable position to complain about that and state that rather than break that. And but, I think that is the problem when you mm. talk about all these positions that it's not the same Being born and raised in a rich family and have your status from when you've been born rather than escalating in society, Mm. because then you've known different things. Then you have the option to, you have the choice to go back to others or trying to find a new position, yet she keeps complaining about her position and not changing it. So I think that's like very not okay.
2: I think she like I think she is aware of where she is actually. I think she's aware that she's like bourgeois and she's like having and she's like gonna get at some point the money to live, probably how she wants to live and make the but yeah. But that it. But then you aware, can't complain. She's, like, she's not complaining. I think she's just like criticizing where she is actually. She's not
3: criticizing where she is. She's criticizing the one she's surrounded by. Yeah, but she's, she's not. She's not reflecting on her position. She's not reflecting on the choices she I has. I
1: disagree entirely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think but,
0: t- okay, to end this because there's something more that I want to talk about that has nothing to do with this. But like to put it into perspective, that way you could say that you cannot be sad because there is someone, or you cannot be sad without being aware that there is someone who is worse off than you, right? But reversed, you cannot be happy either because there are always someone who is like better off than you are.
1: Yeah. That's the inexorable, soul. terrifying logic of bourgeois capitalism.
0: <laughs> but another thing she does in this book is talk about anorexia, uh, which is a theme of this book. She speaks about it a lot. And I don't... I mean, she mentions it in I Love Dick. Yeah. But here it's really elaborated. It, wants to reverse the notion of anorexia, as she calls it, the rat syndrome, of the girls who just want attention, to being a political stance in this world, of rejecting the world and leaving the body, being able to leave the body without ingesting food. What did you think about her notion of anorexia? Is it too abstract, like too
2: theoretical? I think it's too not... uh... I think it gets better in, like, no, the follow-up works of this that she tries to, like, describe this from a theoretic perspective and then comes in, like, some kind of true stories about, like, this actually, how this affects people because and she never talks about, like, people actually, like, dies from anorexia. This has, like, bad consequences for people. Like, the like the banality of it, like, people... It's, like, ruining people's lives and this, yeah. The, just, like, how this doesn't... How this doesn't work, kind of. Yeah. I think she's trying to
3: make a, she's trying to make like a personal experience universal. Mm. And
2: that it's quite wrong. But I think she's like the way she talks about herself is more like I think she's like on the same level as the other anecdote she makes in the book.
3: Yeah, but I, I think there's something like intrinsically wrong about talking yeah. something so serious yeah. as it is anorexia which is like it, you could categorize it as a i guess we could say mental illness mm. and it's a very difficult topic if you want to like you can you can't treat something so serious
0: but but she's not saying leave those girls alone she's not saying don't treat them maybe just treat them for something different than being Rats. But yes. she's doing but it... But being conscious individuals who don't just want the tensions. Mm. But I
3: feel she does it in a... Per, like she tries to... She makes a personal experience. Her personal experience with anorexia. Or at least that's how I understood mm. it. Like mm. she tries to make it universal. And I think that's very wrong because there are very... Like there are so many reasons why someone would be anorexic. And it's so personal. <laughs> It's cool that you want to talk about it, but don't try to make it universal. And don't try to talk about the relationship between the mental illness and society. That's cool. And how, and the reasons, like, main reasons, like, universally, that can create, like, that can make girls go, that can, yeah. Make girls go anorexic or whatever—I don't know how to say it—but I feel that she makes it too like something too personal, Mm -hmm. make it universal, and that's very wrong because then it can be misunderstood, Mm. and it it makes something very like a very personal experience. It makes it like very banal because it becomes something like that can be explained in like a book, and that's I mean. But the
2: way she talks about like maybe not anorexia, but schizophrenia. I felt like that's the first time something theoretically have explained something in a way that I actually understood what this was and how it felt like compared to like only having the view of like the personal stories. There's something like she and I think that's not a wrong thing to do. That's not wrong necessarily to make theory out of something that is like, it's like a difficult topic, like both schizophrenia and anorexia and like a um, it's something that has been idolized so many times in literature and the way people talked about it. Oh,
1: I think there's like a there's a really interesting tension which you kind of brought up, which is this thing where she's trying to argue that anorexia is being personalized; it's being shown to be a moral deficiency on the part of people, and and she's saying that this is not the case. I don't think she successfully illustrates that it's like a massive social-cultural critique. But I think it might be interesting to conceptualise it as such. But in doing so, as you say, she then is is applying a very personal reading of the behaviour to it. So almost what she's saying, let's look at it in a kind of bigger scale it's coming from her personal kind of inscape, her own, her, which she is you know, criticizing the boredom of the inscape. But, and I think this is like, I think maybe this is one of the most disappointing things for me. The book is like, while I'm with her, on not like knocking down all the different psychoanalytic and existentialist theories of anorexia is this, these kind of bullshitty things. Her, her flip of that is not, it's not rigorous enough in some way. Mm. I don't think.
0: Yeah. She... But I mean, this is a work of fiction. You guys are reading it as if it's supposed to contain the truth or <laughs> like hold on to its own premises. Of yeah, to yeah,
1: yeah. its
3: own like, premises.
0: Like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah, no. This yeah. is a work of fiction.
3: Yeah, but
1: that's what but, that's, that's what a fictive world is, its own premises. <laughs> yeah, but
3: you can't just like, you can't, I think it's, as I read books, I think it's very naive to think that fiction is another world. Because I know it is a work of fiction, and it's fine with me. Fiction can be fiction, but fiction can also be in the real world. Like, she is creating fiction within the real world. And I feel that's what she does, and she does it very well. She's creating fiction out of the real world, and that's, I think it's admirable. But then I think there are some, like, you have to be careful with that. Mm.
0: But then it seems as if you think that like she has a moral responsibility when writing a book. Yeah, I think. Towards so. the readers and how it could be interpreted.
2: I think so. Well when you she has she... responsibility. And yeah. you have responsibility for taking like the boundaries of how you talk about something. If you only have like your own per- i think yeah, I think the problem may be that she only have like her own experience of anorexia and Simone Wiles and they're both like like s- the same kind of case mm. of anorexia, exactly. and she doesn't mm. like elaborate and have like something from outside these boundaries.
3: I think and, I think you yeah. can you it. I don't think you can deliver something to the world without thinking mm. that there is a deliverer. like there is there is a receiver.
0: Of course, but I mean this just shows me when I read it that like she was an unreliable unreliable narrator, and that this person was. Amazing. Yeah. I really liked her. I really liked her ideas and how she wrote them, but that
1: Yeah.
0: That yeah, she was also really wrong in many cases and yeah. but yeah. that didn't really matter. It didn't take away from anything. It just yeah, it was just really interesting to read it.
1: But um yeah. and I
0: mean especially when she writes about how her um online lover suddenly tells her like oh yeah I haven't been like he's been ghosting her for a while and then he tells her like oh yeah I'm so sorry but like there was an accident in my family and like I had responsibilities and blah 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 and suddenly she feels really sorry like oh my god was I too pushy and blah 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 his name was Gavin I think and I was just thinking, geez, did, did you not see through that? I mean, <laughs> she's weak, Gavin, full of bad excuses, like, Oh yeah, I had an accident in my family, but he like, Oh no, I felt so bad for him and blah, blah blah like, Oh, you were not able that was like a really bad excuse you just were served <laughs> by a
2: guy you don't know. Yeah. And yeah. I love the emails that she sends him, mm-hmm. too. Like, the way she, like, keeps talking about, like, all the clever stuff and all the books. And I mm-hmm. think he doesn't care. I think he just want to hear, like, the sexy story. Yeah, yeah. She keeps being yeah. like, have you read this book? And also I the thought, way she tries is, like, describing different books she has read and trying yeah. to sound clever. And you're like, this doesn't work out. This is, like, so But a-
3: actually, that was my favorite part. Because I thought it was very... I, th- I think that was the part where I was like, I, I like her because she's being real. She wants to believe in this. She's just got caught up in like this weird situation, but she really believes in this situation. She's just going all in. And like when I was reading his bad excuses, I actually like, I really empathize with her because mm-hmm. she she wants to keep contact with him. So of yeah. course he's going to believe his stories. And yeah. that's that's very like consistent with her character and I thought that was amazing, actually. I, I thought that
2: was one of the best parts. I thought it was so nice. <laughs> and also just like so when nice. she's just like in character and not talking about yeah. the whole stuff, but when she's just like writing the personal stories and having like, I think she's actually pretty good at describing different yeah. emotions. And there's that like real description in this book. And they're like pretty good too. Yeah, like yeah, just yeah. Like the yeah.
1: What is the, I was wondering, like I was wondering what role does this, S and M phone sex relationship play in the overall thesis of this book? Because I don't. I think actually just saying that it's fiction doesn't make sense to me. Because I think she's doing theory fiction. I but think. But she
0: does that
2: throughout the book, or at least she tries to. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's there. Yeah, but
1: she's making an argument.
2: Mm, no, I'm not even sure about that. I think she just likes to tell a good story and then yeah. like throw in some theory. That's no, like, I don't. Yes. I, that's I, the I, thing, I, I, but I, I don't like when she's trying some like trying to like draw parallels all the time. I like that she's just like telling a good story and then switch to like we would and be like, yeah. now I'm going to explain yeah. that, yeah. it. But the overall
1: effect of that is an argument, though.
2: Huh?
1: I, I think the overall effect of it, like, in aggregate, becomes an argument.
2: I think she's just interested in writing about SMM. Yeah. SM.
1: I'm, just thinking, SM. I'm just wondering if like, there's this parallel to be drawn like between that like, desire for pain and the sort of pain and destruction in anorexia.
3: I, I think she but found, like, a ni- nice story to, like, add to her... Story and then it went like too far away and then she realized that it wasn't really eh, and that's what she makes the second part and then she's like overexplains herself. No,
0: I think there's clearly a parallel because in I Love mm. Dick Silver says about her like you just want to be rejected by men <laughs> um, yeah. and she does come off as a person. Through the text that wants to or like can't help but inflict pain on herself, Mm. Um, and their relationship starts
1: around S and M as well.
0: She seeks out these situations, right? And I mean, even in this book, at least she simulates to like expose herself in the text, Mm. which is also a way of like seeking out criticism and being bashed Mm. uh, on behalf of um, who you're showing yourself to be. And but what she says about the S and M is that at least here people hold up their end of the bargain because the bargain has limits. Yeah. So yeah, that's my notion of why it's there.
1: That's interesting, isn't it? Like there's in both S and M and Anorexia there's both there's there's like suffering and there's control.
0: But we have to end this. <laughs> 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 <Stop> <laughs> because we've been speaking for a while. But I mean, to everyone listening, there's a trailer of the movie Gravity and Grace, on at least on Vimeo. It's great.
2: It's great. <laughs> <And> <laughs> are shit. i shit. Golly, golly, golly.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. uh, I don't understand why no one picked it up.
0: Would you recommend this book is the way we usually end this Ooh. podcast. So I'm going to start by asking Nails. Would you recommend this book? Uh,
3: I think if someone has listened until now... Then they should. <laughs> <laughs> then they should read it and then judge for themselves. Because that was very
0: diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. But we, no, but, but I, yeah. I really, I really believe so. Like, uh would you want people to read it? Would you like to talk to people who have read it? Would
3: you I, I would, I would love to talk to people about this book. Um, I wouldn't recommend it as a hey. <laughs> what should I read? I wouldn't recommend this. It wouldn't be the first thing that comes into my mind. But I think, like, overall, I have a lot of feelings about this book. So I guess that's something means, which means, like, yeah, you
0: should read it and judge for yourself. What other book would you recommend right now, then?
3: Uh, I've just been reading Taolin and I really like him. And I think it's actually... I think it kind of fits with all this. Like you can, you can fictionalize yourself. You can talk about real life, be an asshole about it, and still like, not raise so many questions. <laughs> yeah, and just enjoy. Like, yeah. but they are very different books. No, I think I think.
0: Okay, and you, Rebecca, would you
2: recommend this book? I would recommend it, but I think you had to read other books before. Try to make more sense Yes, just like maybe just like read I Love Dick and read uh, Read Your Green or something
0: last
1: I would only read it recommend it a bit well I'd only recommend it to people who read I Love Dick um, at least uh, I think it's perhaps I think yeah, it's perhaps <laughs> to be very very diplomatic it's perhaps a better <laughs> book but it's maybe less successful like I think maybe like in terms of its craft, maybe it's better. But because I don't have a way into it so easily, it doesn't speak to as many people. I didn't find it a revelatory experience like I love Dick. Um, but maybe it's because I've seen some of the tricks before. Um, that said, there's some. I I think the last section like of the first, uh, the chapter five is great. And all the hard work to get there seemed worthwhile when I was reading it. After that, I could have have just left the film plot at the end and the stuff about Gavin Bryce. If it just stopped at chapter 5 like, great.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's definitely the first part and the first five chapters. Some chapters are the
1: best. Yeah. too much too much extra work at the end, like a Steven Spielberg movie that just goes on and on
0: yeah like the Gospel of Luke or yeah. like the yeah. Lord of the Dream oh yeah part three <laughs> Never yes done. yes so
1: many endings <laughs> Jesus Christ yeah. um Chiu, so are you recommending it
0: yes I would recommend it I yes I would but I would say read I love Dick before because that is like a long introduction to her work and her style of writing and her mode of writing yeah.
3: I actually think it's a it's a nice book to read. Uh, not not the story in itself, but it's a very nice book to read writing-wise. Yeah. Like the narrative, how it how she writes, it's amazing. Yes. Like she writes so well. And that is the part that I would say, yes, th- that is the nose part that says, yes, read it. Because I think her writing is amazing. And it's, you can't, you don't find that kind of writing like very often, I would say. So just for that, I would read it.
0: So thanks for having listened. Next month, we're going to read Kathy Acker's I'm Very Into You, which is an email correspondence she had in 1995 with Mackenzie Work, after having known him for about a few days at a conference in Australia and the email correspondence lasts two weeks and it's very intense and it's I like the book about so I'm looking forward to it thanks thanks
1: thanks, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> fade out